dive into the message today. Um, it's part three of our series, Life, Money, and Hope. And it's been, I, I believe this is such a great time for us to talk about uh, not only money, but life. And uh, how do we get hope? Um, you, you know, when life is beating us up, and a lot of times what we find is the struggles that we're in are related to money. Um, but then when we try to learn more about it, we fail to go to the place with a person who wrote the book on finances. And it's God. And, and I've often found uh, people resistant to what God says about money because they have found that people have manipulated the message for their own personal good. And I remember as I launched the church, we were eight and a half years old. Um, I used to be nervous a little bit to talk about money. And part of it was because I felt the same way you probably did. I went to a church where we, at one service, I'll never forget, we had three offerings. Could somebody say fatigue? Like we did a, no thank you, Ellie, that was my little niece. She's doing exactly what Uncle said. Since somebody safe. Like, I just remember, it's like we had an offering for the special guests. We had, listen, we have a special guest. We don't take a special offering. It's in the budget. Come on, somebody. Like, you give. That's what allows us to do it. And, and so I, I, I remember just launching, just why we don't pass offering plates and buckets. If you're new here, you're like, hey, something's missing. Now you go out to the giving centers. You go online. Well, why would you do that? Because well, we believe it's an act of worship, and I need to be intentional in my giving. And so we just, it's the way we created this, this whole church based on, God, I want to give willingly, not having been manipulated or feel compulsion or swayed. And, and so then when I begin to talk about money, I talk up here with authority. Uh, look, over the eight and a half years, we've done everything we said we were going to do. In fact, we have a uh, financial report that's on our website that tells you the impact of our money, how much money came in, where the money was invested, what it looks like. Why do you do it? Because I believe transparency fuels generosity. I, I think we ought to be transparent with the way God has blessed us and we're blessing other people. Why? Because I want to be a part of something that is actually doing the right thing with the resources God gave to them. And so even with this series, I've enjoyed it because there is a certain amount of confidence and boldness that says, listen, I'm here to preach God's word, to share it with you. Whether you use it or not is up to you, but if you will, listen, your life's going to get better. There's going to be hope when you feel hopeless. And I know that there is a pool of the things of the world in our heart, but how many know if we surrender all to God, he'll take care of that. He'll get rid of the stinginess and selfishness. Anybody ever felt stingy and selfish? I mean, come on, somebody. You're like, that's mine. No, no, no. It all belongs to God. Reminds me of a story of a stingy old lawyer who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and uh, he decided he was going to beat the old adage, you can't take it with you when you're gone. And so he just loved his money and wanted to hold on to it. And so he devised a plan. He said, honey, I got it. I can't take it all, but I'm going to take some of it with me. And she said, what are you going to do? She said, I want you to go to the bank and pull out enough money to fill up two pillowcases full of cash. And I want you to put it up in the attic so that when I die, I'll pass through the attic and grab the pillowcases on my way to heaven and take some of it with me. Well, the wife said, okay, honey, 
whatever you want. She goes and gets the money, puts it in the pillowcase, puts it up in the attic, and she forgets about it. Well, a couple of weeks later, sure enough, he passes away, and she forgot about the money. She went back up in the attic about a month later, and she's thinking, I got to clean this out now, get all the stuff out. She sees the money she had forgotten about. She said, <laughs> man, I knew it. You should have had me put it in the basement. his attitude to money and towards money was wrong. Billy Graham says it like this. If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Isn't that amazing? So profound. And I think that for us, when we sit in here, and I know for me, the early stages of my life and especially my marriage, um, financial stress played a big part in the problems that I had. Um, there was a lot of pressure and um, negativity that was going on in my life, but it really dealt with the way I was not managing my money, how I was really losing what God was putting in my hands and mismanaging it. And there was a huge negative impact. And it really, if you are in financial distress and you're stressed out because of money, there is actually a lot of physical and emotional problems that come along with that. Do you know that if you're under financial duress and stress, that you can have sleep difficulties? They say insomnia, struggle sleeping, that weight gain or weight loss, depression, anxiety, relationship difficulties, social withdrawals, all of these are symptoms of financial stress. Uh, in fact, one of the studies said that 61% of divorces cited money issues as the main cause of divorce. 61%. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's unbelievable the impact that money, when it's mismanaged, has on us in a negative way. Uh, it causes all kinds of problems, and yet it's so hard to get out of because we find ourselves in a cycle of debt. If you've ever gotten into debt, how many know it's very difficult to get out of debt? And there's just this cycle that continues to happen where you can't seem to break free. You know, most people don't have a problem. They're not stressed out trying to figure out where am I going to go eat? I mean, you know where your favorite restaurant is. In fact, what, think about your favorite restaurant right now. Hey, everybody say it when I count to three. Just say it out loud, loud and proud. What's your favorite restaurant? You got it? Don't be embarrassed. I know it's McDonald's. One, two, three. Yeah, see? You didn't have a problem. That is, anybody stressed out? Oh my God, where are we going to eat? No, no, but you know what stressed you out? Hey, do we put it on the Visa or MasterCard? The American Express, who's paying? You ever said the table like, hey, I sure hope they pay for me? Have you ever done the fake pay? No, oh, let me get it for you. And they offer you like, oh, okay, thanks, man. That's so awesome. That's, praise God. Anybody stressed out about what kind of clothes you want to wear? No, I mean, yeah, well, color matching. Yeah, I get that. But how many know what you'd go buy? If you had money, you know exactly what you'd go buy. Come on. Yeah, you ain't stressed out, but you are stressed out about how to pay for those clothes. Mm-hmm. Nobody's stressed out about the kind of car you like. Woo, I bet if I asked you the kind of car you wanted, you'd be able to, right here, praise the Lord. But you are stressed out about having had to go and get a loan for the car. Now you got to pay for the car, right? Anybody stressed out about the house you want? No, no, I know what kind of house, but I am stressed out about this mortgage that is drowning me. 
right? So it's why? Because you can't afford it. So what we're taught is if you can't afford it, charge it. Go get a loan. It don't matter, pay for it, but, but you ain't even got to pay for it now. Like, we'll, we'll help you. No, they ain't here to help you. They're here to enslave you. They want to put you in bondage. Like a real friend never adds more weight and chains around you. No, there's, just don't ever forget, there is something on the other side for that person. There is a benefit to them doing what they're asking you to do. And it's so easy to get caught up because credit's really easy to get. And nowadays, you can have bad credit and still get credit. Come on, so I'm like, how does that work? Like back in the day, you actually had to be a good steward of your credit. Now they're like, oh, it's 400. It's all good. Here's a little restoration plan, but don't even worry about that. Put an extra $500 down and it's yours right now at 37% interest. Right? So we're like, cool, cool. It's a miracle. God bless me. I got finance. Yeah, 37%. It's awesome. Yes, it's awesome. For a car that's going to break down or... You know, a, a, and think about what you bought. Do you still have what you bought on the credit card? Probably not. You probably done donated it. Someone came and jacked it. Some, and yet you still got this credit card bill for whatever it is, and you are still paying on something you no longer even have possession of. It's terrible. I've never had anybody say, man, since I got in debt, my marriage has gotten way better. Woo! Woo! Boy, that high interest rate. Boy, that sure helped my love life. Man, I thank God for debt. I didn't want to be debt-free, but I love debt. Anybody? No, 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 no. You know what I hear people say? I'm tired of living paycheck to paycheck. I'm tired of just barely making it. I'm tired of just struggling financially. When can we ever get ahead? I'm just tired of fighting over money. I feel like it's never going to end. Anybody, anybody ever felt like that? There's, there's this heaviness that happens. You've been enslaved. There's a bondage that takes place in Proverbs 22, 7. Talks specifically about this. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. So think about whatever you're going to charge, whatever you're going to put on a card, you've now become a slave to that person, that, that Visa, that MasterCard, that Wells Fargo, whatever it is that you now have borrowed on, you have become a slave to that entity. And uh, it's, it's so easy to do. And so many of us have done that and had to fight back out of that. But I want you to know that there is hope. That regardless of where you find yourself, that God has answers. And in a hopeless situation, God will fill your life not only with hope, but solutions and a plan and a path to help you move forward so that you're not a slave for the rest of your life. So we say, how do we get here? How do you get to that place where you find yourself enslaved uh, to debt and to bad choices and wrong decisions? I want to go into the story of the prodigal son. It's a fascinating story that I think we're, we're not only going to be able to relate to where he was, but begin to see the process of getting out of the situation that we find ourselves in. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read the whole passage. I don't want to make an assumption that everybody knows the story of the prodigal son. In fact, we've had thousands of people over the eight years give their life to Jesus. And I find more often than not the, the common Bible stories for us we call old school, people don't know them. And so you're saying the prodigal son, 
Here's the story of a, of, a, of a young man who leaves his father's home, squanders his wealth, and then goes back to his father, and his father loves him and embraces him uh, after he goes back and he repents. And so I want to read the whole passage for that sake so that everybody can track with us. It won't take us long, but then I'm going to pull out some truths that I really believe is going to help us this morning. Um, verse 11 says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. So he's talking and telling a parable. Again, he's showing an illustration in a way that the people will get the message uh, that he is trying to get into their heart. The younger of the two sons went to his father and he said, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off into a distant country and he squandered his wealth in wild living. And, and I don't have time to go into all this, but you don't ask your father who's alive for the inheritance you get when he's dead. There's a heart of selfishness and greed and it's all about him. So he's going to take what doesn't even belong to him now and so that's what he does. And he goes and he squanders his wealth and wild living. It says, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole land. And uh, they began to be in need. And I'll tell you, when you get to the end of the fun that you think sin is, there's always a famine, a dry place, a hard place. And and so here he is, he's in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He now to Jewish people, pigs are the worst of worse. Like there is nothing worse than pork and pigs. And, and so he is, his illustration, this, is, this would have been to the Jewish, they'd have been like, <gasps> you just wouldn't do that. That means that's how desperate this young boy is. He's like, man, I am so desperate. I'm gonna go and to the fields and feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, that's a desperate situation. It says, when he came to his senses, come on, I'm hoping today we come to our senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will send out, I will set out and go back to my father's house and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, just like God does to us, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, Father, I pray that your words, Lord, illuminate our heart. Holy Spirit, do what you intend. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the message would be A Way Out. A Way Out. We're desperate for a way out. And when you look at this story, he finds himself in a dark place. Now, he didn't start off that way, and life was good. His dad did what he asked. He's having fun. He's, you know, living a wild life. We can only imagine what that looks like, but ultimately sin leads to ruin. And he finds himself in the lowest of lows in a dark place in life. And maybe you're here today, you find yourself in a dark place financially, but it doesn't have to just be financially. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's emotionally. 
You've exhausted. Maybe it's, you know, spiritually, you're here and you just have felt so disconnected or not connected with God at all. It really doesn't matter wherever you find yourself, when you find yourself in a dark place, there's usually the same progression of steps that got you there. And the first thing is, is that you believe a lie. The prodigal son believed the lie that the wealth of his father would bring him happiness and fulfillment. That he could take it and somehow life would be great and somehow believing that he could make a better start for himself. And I, I need you to know that the only power the devil has in your life is the power of a believed lie. And that's how it starts, right? He can't make you do the things you shouldn't do. But what he does is he begins to plant lies in your heart and in your mind. You know, if you had more money, you'd be happier. If you got the raise, life would be better. And then this, this whole lie and situation begins to be perpetuated. But the problem is, if you had more, you would waste more. If you had more, you'd be more miserable because it's got nothing to do with what's coming in. It's the way you spend what's going out. It's the way you steward what God has already given to you. And so this lie is a mirage. You're chasing after this and you're chasing after that. And before you know it, that lie has led you to a dark place. There was a national survey called The Day America Told the Truth. And it's fascinating. You can look it up on Amazon. Don't do it now or God will get you or something, you know, because you'll be multitasking the message God wanted in your heart. The question was asked, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Woo, $10 million. Make me holla. 25% of the respondents said they would abandon their entire family. Don't lie, that means 25% of you in here you just say, amen, but that's terrible, pastor. That's terrible. You're thinking, ooh, that's not a bad deal. <laughs> 23 would become a prostitute for a week or more. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. I'm very concerned about that 7% in this place. Jesus, help them. 3% will put their children up for adoption. Some of you are like, Pastor, I'll do that for free. <laughs> That's a whole nother message. What's happened? We're self-absorbed. We care so much about us and the more and the I got it, it's me. And, and the problem is you're not satisfied. You'll never be satisfied with 10 million. It doesn't matter how much God gives you. It's the lie that that will make me happy, that will fulfill me, that will give me the life that I want. No, no, God will give you the life that you want and need. But you got to deal with the root cause of that. You know what the root of it is? It's pride. I know better. Look, if you see something in me, speak up. If I see something in you, I'm going to speak up, but I'm going to take off this mask. I know everybody loves me up on the stage, but I got problems just like you. I have a marriage just like you. I've got... So all the things that we struggle with and kids, how many got kids? How many got an employer? You got people and it's everybody. We have this struggle, but what we don't usually do is we don't allow this mask to come off. So we're not real with people. And then when people start asking tough questions, we go get some new friends. That's the beauty of being planted in a church. See, if I'm planted, I may not like you at this moment, but about three months from now, I'm going to love you because you challenged me. You stayed with me. You would leave me to myself and my own self-destructive behaviors. 
And that's why it's so important. Don't allow yourself to get isolated. Because when you do, if you don't find freedom, that's where you find yourself in a dark place. I talked about it last week in the second service. Phyllis and I have been married 21 years. Um, I know we, we don't look like we're a day over 26, and we're not. Um, we got married when we were five, and life has been really great. It's just this arranged thing, and we're playing together. And when we first got married, listen, it, it was a challenge because we, we owned some businesses, and everybody thought, thought we were rich. And in one way, we were. Steve and I did real estate on paper. We looked, woo! How many know you can't spend paper? And uh, so there were moments where it was really tough. And, but man, credit is so available. And we went and started borrowing money and credit cards. And it wasn't for important things. You know, it was about go out to eat. The worst investment you could ever spend money on. We spent thousands and thousands of dollars on credit card debt. We buy the latest, greatest. You know, back then it was Nextel phones, not iPhones. You know, the walkie-talkies. So we all had Nextels and way back when, which this was like another beepers. You remember the beepers? <laughs> and yeah, so you just go buy all these and then you go buy a nice car and you get a nice house. And we were over leveraged so that when God changed our situation and things happened, we couldn't pay all the bills. And being over leveraged led us to almost filing. We were, should have filed bankruptcy, but it felt like the Lord said, no, 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 no. You're not going to get out the easy way. I want you to do it the hard way. It took us 10 years to fight back and pay off all the debt that we had incurred. But I'll tell you what it did was it caused me to realize that in the darkest place of my life, there is a path that leads to hope if I'll follow God's plan. And no matter how long it takes, it will develop in me what I need to steward what God wants to bless my life with. There's no shortcut. It's hard. You may feel like I did, Psalm 88, 8. I'm in a trap with no way out. It's hard. I want to dedicate this message to you. There is hope. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He sees those who have lost all hope. You've lost all hope. God sees you. In fact, God brought you here today. God's got you watching the, the live stream. Why? Because there is hope. The devil has lied to you. And there is a God in heaven who has seen you, who cares about you, and has hope for you today. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. There is a way out. That's what I want to talk about. Okay, a couple of things. How do I get out of this? First thing, just like the prodigal, you got to acknowledge the reality of where you are. You'll never get out of your dark place, your mess, until you're honest with yourself. I'm in a mess. I made some mistakes, made some bad decisions. I'm embarrassed. How many have ever felt embarrassed when you realized what you did? You're like, man, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I don't, I don't know if God will still love me. I want you to know two things. God still loves you, and this church still loves you. God supports you. This church supports you. God will never turn his back on you. This church will never turn his back. We love you. We don't care. I've had people say, yeah, you know, I just feel, I, I had people come back from COVID and, and they come almost apologize to me. I'm like, I don't care how long you were out your back. Like the, the father just running to the son. I don't care what the past was. I don't care what you've done. All I know is that my son is home. That's the way God feels. The enemy would lie and say, God doesn't care. He does. Just acknowledge, God, I've, I've made some mistakes. Maybe it's relationally. 
made some bad decisions. You can't can't change the past and you can't make other people change, but you can't acknowledge what you've done. God help me. Maybe it's parenting. Anybody feel like I'm a loser parenting? Anybody? I'm the only one. Thank you, Maxwell. Maxwell, you and I, we're going to start a small group, baby. Yeah, I've, I've had those moments, and this ain't part of the message. I'm like, oh my, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, if the church saw this, I would be so embarrassed. Anybody ever raise your voice? No, no, nobody. Okay, cool. I'm going to preach to myself. Phyllis, we'll go preach to ourselves later. Everybody's like, that pastor, oh my God. No, I'm just, I'm just a person. God's using my voice. But I think part of it is because I'm willing to be honest. I'm willing to say, look, I get stuck in life. Are you stuck? When we say, God, I'm stuck. Look, you're trying to do all that you're doing to impress people you don't even like. You don't even like them. It is it's terrible. There are some neighborhoods. I didn't realize it because I didn't grow up that way. But I was dropping some kids off with my kids in their school. And the whole ride was how big was your house? What street did you live on? And I'm like, for the love of all things. You're 13. There are a lot of other things to be worried about. Some kid, he, had a, he was in the right neighborhood, but the house was a little bit smaller. And I heard him kind of crack on him. And, and you know, I'm just trying to be there. I didn't want to. And I told my son, I said, what you got to do for the next time you hear that, if it's a smaller house, tell him, yeah, but you ain't seen the basement. Some of you will get that. Texas ain't got basements. But that house does. And it is amazing. You know, what was the point? It's like, who cares? Defend it. It's like, we're going to look back and say all the money you spent for the clothes, and yet you're the one drowning in debt, feeling hopeless, can't do what God's called you to do. You feel a call to ministry, but you're strapped in the chains of debt. You feel a call to be a legacy giver, but you can't because you're strapped in debt. You feel called to fund ministry and to go overseas and do missions, but you can't because the devil's got you bound up. It's time to just say, God, I give it to you. Second thing is you got to develop a plan, plan of action. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So many people say, oh, it's a good idea. It's got to go from an idea to a plan. And then that plan has got to have some action. You know, he said, listen, here's the plan. I'm going to go back, tell my dad, I'll just be a hired servant. He had a plan. Was it the right plan? No, but it was a plan. And I believe God honors plans. Even if it's the wrong plan, it moves you in the right direction. The father had a better plan, but at least the son will need that's sitting there collecting dust. Maybe you've got payments on it, but you're like, yeah, but when we go, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but that's one of the reasons why you're so stressed out. I ain't trying to meddle. I'm just trying to help you. How can you get a plan to move your life forward so that you are not bound up in debt? Maybe you need to sell the car that has a note on it and go buy you a beater. If you don't know what a beater is, just come see me. I'll tell you what a beater is. I've driven several beaters. It's a car that you get a little bit embarrassed about when you drive up. Come on, anybody ever done that? You park on the backside of a parking lot and you get out and they're like, man, he looks good. What's he doing driving that car? I'm debt free. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing, right? But if you care about everybody else, you won't do that. And then here's what I know. You save those payments, put it in a savings account. Then four or five years from now, you go buy that brand new car cash. What's your plan? How are you? Maybe some of you need to downsize your house. It's a great time right now. Why? Because you've got great equity. Oh, but it's our dream home. Yeah, but you can't afford it. 
So your dream home that you love so much is destroying your dream of family. You see the lie right there? You can't even build what you want in there because you're drowning because of the dream you felt like you had to have to build what you're losing. Wow. Hold off on the vacation. I know, I know everybody wants to go out, but sometimes vacation's expensive. What's your plan of action? And then the third part in this, we're going to get ready to close, is this. Regardless of what your plan of action is, you've got to put God at the center of your financial plan. You know, if you're asking God to bless you, to help you, you have to honor God. You can't receive from someone you don't honor. Have you ever had someone talk and you don't honor them? And the moment they talk, you just shut them down. You disqualify them. Uh, You don't know what you're talking about. What that is, is that's honor. If you honored them, you would listen. And when you listen, you can actually take what they're saying and implement it in your life for the better. And and what we do many times is, God, bless me, but I don't want to honor you. God, I need your help, but I'm going to do it my way. That's not honor. That's just, you're just listening. I'm going to get some some, uh, guidance. But honor says, no, God, your way is the only way. I'm going to honor you. So how do you honor God? Look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. I heard somebody in your head. You're like, oh, here it is. Here's the gotcha. Now here's the freedom. Hey, we don't need your money. This church ain't broke. But you need to be blessed. And so you want pastors going to tell you how do you honor God? Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. God, how do I give you weight? I honor you. How? By giving you the first portion of what it is that you have blessed me with. Look what he says. I'll fill your barns with weed and your barley and overflow your wine with the finest wines. Look, God says, if you honor me, I'll bless you. All I know is this. Visa, MasterCard, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they don't have the power to bless you, but God does. And yet we give that power that we have to put God in a position to bless us to those companies first. Phyllis and I decided a long time ago, we, we were married. Look, I'd rather be in debt to those companies than I am to God. I'm not going in debt with God. God gets the first and best. And I told you guys a story where we lost, just about lost everything. And even in that moment, we just chose, God, you're first. They'd take the house. They'd take the car. Here's the turnaround. We never lost a house. We never lost a car. God moved. It took me years to get out of it. But part of that was God wanted me to develop what I needed so I could manage this church in a way that God would bless us so that we could be a blessing. So even in the pain where you're frustrated, you're like, God, he's like, hey, I got a lesson for you. I need you to learn this for your future, for where you're going to take people. He's not trying to get back at you. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to develop you and help you. People say, well, why do you tithe? Deuteronomy 14, 23 says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first. Think about it. God, God's not broke. Heaven's not broke. But God has figured out that money is the thing that symbolizes the position he has in our heart. And that's what I love about tithing. If you don't know what tithing is, it's the first 10% of your income. So if you're a millionaire or if you're poor, that first 10% holds the same weight in your life. So I've had someone say, oh, pastor, when I win the lottery, you know, that little lottery store down there in Rosenberg, the one that they rebuilt, and it's like the biggest lottery deal in this whole, it was so crazy. Oh, when I win that, I'm going to tithe. Do you tithe now? Nope, you won't give it then. Can you imagine winning the lottery? Just a million dollars, not even 10. What will this do, 10? I win $10 million. 
government gets 60%, 50-something percent, then now here I am, I'm going to tithe a million dollars. Come on, how many, I ain't giving God $10, and now I'm going to give God a million dollars? See, we think when I get that, then I'll do this. No, when you do this, then God will bless you with that. And then, you know, here's the Bible. Somebody says, where do you tithe? Do you tithe the United Way or any of these other organizations? What about your brother that you see at work that's hurting? No, that's what we call charity. So that's giving to charity. Tithing in Malachi 3.10 says, bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. Test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you. Think about where it's storehouse, it's the church. In the, in the God's church, and it fuels the movement. I read a book, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but the book was so powerful. It talked about giving in church. And if the church, just those who say they're Christians, tithe, we could end world hunger. We could end all disease around the world. It's amazing the power of the system God set up, which is no, no wonder the enemy is lying. All oh, that church wants is your money. Oh, it's a lie. You're, you're, you're a terrible steward to give God first. You need to pay all your bills, and then if something is left over, then you give to God. No, that doesn't take faith. You know what takes faith? When you're broke, when you're bound up, enslaved, in bondage, in debt, and everybody seems to be coming after you for you to say, God, I'm not going to give to them first. I'm going to go to the one who will bless me, the one who I will put in charge of my life. And when you begin to bless God by putting him first, now he has the power to bless your life. And it's the, it's the testimony of a tither. I can't afford not to tithe. And then the testimony of a non-tither is I can't afford to tithe, right? Because you're living not under the blessing, but under the curse. And if you find yourself in a deep, dark pit, you've got to ask God, Father, help me get out. And then God, let me put you in the center of my plan. Look, when you give God your first and best, he'll bless the rest. And that's, you know, I was thinking today, um, as, we, as we close it out, some of you, and I really believe this, I wrestled on this message because there was another one that I wanted to share, and, but I felt the Lord say that there are people that are bound up in bondage. You didn't even realize it, but you came here today, and you realize the feeling of hopelessness, the feeling of I'll never get out, and you realize that you found yourself in a deep pit. And, and a lot of that, here, here's the challenge. You can look great to everybody else. Boy, social media, you got this pseudo life. You got the, but the truth is, you're just one step away from bankruptcy. Maybe you're not even that far in, but you see yourself walking down that progression. I just want to pray over us. I want to pray that God would move supernaturally in your heart and I think the biggest step that you'll ever take is to put God first in your finances. It just is. If you've never trusted God, now you actually have to do something to say, God, my trust is really presented to you through a decision that I made. See, it's so easy for us to come in and say, oh, I trust God. Okay. It's very, you want to know how you can see if you trust God? There's two things. God at the center of your life. Show me your calendar. And show me your bank account. That's the way you figure it out. Why? Because I'll be in church. 
I'll make God a prayer. I'll be in prayer. I'll find the things that, so, so God, if I trust you, that means I'm leaning into you. I love you. I'm pursuing you. I need you. There's a relationship with you that, that I'm born again. There's a trust. It's in my schedule. But the second place, and this is the place where we just say, you talk about the rest, but don't talk about this, is your bank account. Super clear. There's no emotion. Somebody say, oh, get upset. No, no, just show it. Just, just sit down. And then let's see where, where it really falls. And the only way to change it is to make a conscious decision that God, I'm going to put you first. And I, I thought I'd just tell you a story right here. It's, it's the testimony of a tither. Now, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen to you, but stories like this happen all the time. And so it's amazing. There's a man, he said, I just wanted to share the work that God has done in my life ever since I began putting him first. It all started in January when my wife and I decided to take the 12-month tithe challenge. You see, like a lot of Christians, we were so skeptical and worried about giving 10% of our income. Man, let me tell you how so wrong we were. As a recent graduate from engineering school, we had been praying for a promotion where I'm currently employed. Needless to say, our prayers were answered shortly after we began the challenge. Floodgates of heaven began to open up and blessings began to pour down in our life just the way God promised. He said, I received a letter sitting, uh, stating that I'd be receiving a substantial salary increase and promoted to a higher rank, but God was not done pouring out his blessings over my life. After a second tithe, so he just tried the challenge. After a second tithe, the senior engineer manager came up to me at work and uh, asked me about the project that I was on in my educational background. When he became aware of my new job title, uh, he responded immediately, there must be a mistake. He made a few phone calls and it turns out there was a system error and not only were they going to change my job title to a higher rank, but I got another pay increase in my salary instantly. Tell me this is not God at work in my life. And oh, how God says there'll not be room enough to store the blessings. He was right again. We're now able to bless people more than we've ever been able to in our entire life. Isn't that amazing? It gets better. Three months later, he sends me this back in, he said, back in March when I sent you this letter, he said, uh, uh, just as a reminder of how God is working in my life and my family, the year started off slow. The company sent out emails, employees stating we're sluggish in the global economy. The consequences are causing our clients and our company negative uh, results. Today, we are facing significant pressure to hold down project costs, especially to our core businesses and energy and chemicals and mining clients. And he goes on and he talks about how they're reducing the workforce, reducing salaries. Here's just two of the things that he puts in there. We will not budget for company-wide across-the-board salary increases. We will provide limited budget for equity adjustments and promotions during this time. Those are just two of the things that he puts in there. And he said, I prayed and asked God to get me through all of this that his will would be done. Isn't it amazing, his heart? It's just like, God, I'm a tither. See, that's the thing about tithing. Tithing brings protection and provision. And so he's making a demand. It's the same thing I talk about. So he's saying, God, just help me get through this. He said, needless to say, I received an email today stating that I will be receiving a salary increase and another promotion. Pastor, that's three promotions and three raises in less than two years. 
Tell me God's not in, on the move. I just want you to know that why would I tell you that? Because you got to build your faith. All the negative things people say, all the stuff, listen, the devil's a liar. He wants you to stay in the dark pit. Um, and, and I want to challenge you. Some of you, it really is about taking that step. God, I'm going to take that. In fact, look, I've got a card in front of you. Look, pull out the card in front of you. It's in the seat back pocket. Everybody pull it out. You know, I, I, somebody say, oh, is this a gimmick? This ain't a gimmick. You know, have you ever, have you ever bought something? I, I love Amazon. Anybody love Amazon? They need to pay me for even saying that. The thing I love about Amazon is there no hassle return. How many have opened something, used it, knew you used it, shouldn't have sent it back, but sent it back and still got the refund? Come on, somebody. I know. See, come on, us honest people. Thank you. I know. They, uh, so, so at the end of the day, the thing we love about it is there's a guarantee. And so I, I just felt like this. You know, at the end of the day, if it, if it helps you take that step, what I'm asking us to do is just to consider taking the tithe challenge. It's 12 months. You, you don't even have to do 12 months. You just say, God, I'm going to do 90 days. And what is that? God, I'm going to put you first. When I get paid, this is the first thing I do. I text to give through my, my phone. It's the very first thing I do. God, the first thing I do is I just put you first. Why? Because I need your blessing to get me out of this dark place. And I'm going to choose to do it your way. And then I want to show you this, the generosity ladder. I put it on the card. It's this top part, guys. Uh, they've got it on the screen as well. Uh, Show me when, when they got it up. If, well, you got your card. It says, keep this record for your record. Look at the five different categories that it shows. At the very bottom is first time. Second one is occasional. Third one is intentional. Fourth one's tithing. Fifth one is extravagant. We call this a giving ladder. And really, this is a progression of discipleship. Um, and so what it allows you to do is take steps at your pace. Um, sometimes what I have found is taking 10%. Some, some of you can do it. You'll do it. It's awesome. But some of you just need to take a step. And you're like, 10% is too much. Here's what I would challenge you with. Whatever percentage God gives you, do it. And when God blesses you, don't go spend more. Begin to tithe more. God honors the journey. God honors the progression. And so you say, okay, God, you blessed me. Man, that was, I was given 5%. Now I'm going up to 8% or 10%. And as you get blessed, you continue. Then you get it where God wants you to be. And some of you, you know, you've never given. It's your first time. I've not given to Anchor Ben. Second one's, okay, I give to Anchor Ben, but not consistently. Third one's intentional. I give consistently, but it's less than my tithe. Fourth one is I'm tithing consistently. And if that's you, I challenge you to ask God to take you to the next step, which I give beyond my tithes. And that's what we call here a legacy giver. And I would challenge every one of you to find yourself on this. And if you feel like, man, my next step is to tithe, praise God, that's awesome. But some of you, if you say, I can't do it, just take the next step. Unless God blesses you, you begin to acknowledge. Don't say, well, oh, I worked hard for that raise. No, baby, God gave you that raise. You worked just as hard and never got anything. But now God is seeing you run towards him, the Father, and he's going to bless your life. So then you just acknowledge, God, that was all you. I'm giving you more. I'm putting you at the center. And before long, your whole situation will turn around. Why? Because you learned how to put God first. I want to challenge you with that. And then there is a 90-day guarantee, and, and this is why I do that. Man, if you say 90 days, I've done it, and God didn't bless me, I'll give you your money back. Why? Because it ain't about your money anyway. If you're telling me God didn't do it, cool. It's that step. It's the, I'm going to partner with you to help you. Why? Because I want you out of that dark hole. 
the place where I found myself. Father, we thank you. Lord, today we give you our lives. Lord, I, I, I know what it's like to be in a pit and to feel lost and to feel like there's no hope. And God, I'm asking, Lord, today that your word as has been preached, God, help us. Help us, Lord, to, to lean into you, to pursue you. God, to recognize that without you, God, none of this works. And Lord, I'm asking you to speak to 